When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello everybody and welcome back to the Royal Blue Podcast and Talk at Pride. And today joined by Dave Prentice and Gav Buckland as we chew the fat over all the major talking points at Goodison Park, of course. The season has resumed, the Blues have got two games under their belts and four points. So we will be reflecting on the first win of the restart, a 1-0 victory at Norwich uh, and discussing Carlo Ancelotti's remaining target, he seems confident that Europa League is still a possibility. We'll talk Dan Mice, who is, quote, not currently engaged with the Bramley Moore new stadium project. We'll discuss the fallout from that. Football Club also confirming this week some departure, uh, departures from the first team squad, Umani Asm, Kuko, Martina among them. And we will discuss that and, of course, the ongoing uh, contractual issue with Leighton Baines. Um, but let's start with Wednesday night. Um, look, football's not it's not the same. It's it's in many levels deeply uninspiring, Preno. But it, it would appear so far that Carlo and, and and the players are making the best of a uh, particularly bad situation. Yeah, I mean, it won't take us long to uh, to analyse and sum up what happened in that game. Uh, but Everton won another clean sheet. Um, some good performances, some not so good. But the bottom line is, you know, so Everton did what they had to do. Um, Ancelotti got his team set up, you know, so to be difficult to beat again while going forward, and you know, did it all quite effectively. It's quite reassuring to see Everson scoring from set pieces for a change, um, you know, rather than conceding from them. And I think I saw a stat saying that we've actually scored more goals from set pieces than any anybody else in the Premier League this season, which uh, surprised me, I have to say. Uh, but all in all. Yeah, it, it was quite refreshing uh, to you know so see such a solid and such a disciplined return to football. It's different, we know it's different. Of course, it is because of the circumstances and because of the um, the lack of a crowd. And we also spoke before the match how I feared that you know the proximity of the derby match and the Norwich game might lead to Everton being a bit leg weary. And obviously, it didn't help that it was nearly thirty degrees down in uh, East Anglia at the time. But all in all, got the job done. That's all you can you know ask for in circumstances like that. So, you know, we move on to the next one now. Gav, I mean, just, just a word on, on the fitness and the conditioning of the players. I think there was some concern, understandably as well, that we hadn't had a um, friendly against external opposition. Um, we just played that into squad uh, 60 minutes at Goodison. But Carlo had said, you know, it was all about judging the condition and the fitness of his players and he didn't think it was right. So he's, he's been vindicated in that respect because, you know, to come through, as Preno says, Two tough games in, in, in what four days um, without injury as well with additional injury that you know that's a real tick in the box. It is. Uh, I said I think a couple of weeks ago that you'd find out in this period too the really good managers were and knew what they were doing and you know could you know have a strategy for coping with the, the unenforced break and uh, you've seen that with Carlo you know he's, he's used his experience of you know twenty odd years of management you know and you know forty years as player as manager. And he has been vindicated in the results as much as anything else. 
Um, and yeah, so I've, I, I don't think I said at the time that a friendly was that important. And and the players have looked fit. I thought they looked fit at the end of the in the derby. To be honest with you, and um, I've ne- never really felt in either game that we were we were struggling fitness wise, which is which is good. Um, Michael Keane was the uh, the match winner. Should he be doing more of that? Should he be should he be on the score sheet more often than he is? Yeah, I think possibly he should. Um, you know, we saw the couple of goals he scored in like that trial practice match, and I think we said at the time, don't get used to it because he hasn't shown, you know, so any uh, propensity for you know so scoring regularly in games. But clearly, he's a threat aerially. You know, so he does timage runs into the box, but he does get on the end of the man, and that was a great finish. You know, so tucked away just inside the post. Uh, so yeah, maybe he should be doing that a little bit more. Sometimes it's a confidence thing, isn't it? You know, so you just like. You know, you score one, you think, hey, I can do this. And you try and get yourself in those positions again. And uh, it becomes like a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy then. So having done it on that occasion, yeah, he should be confident enough to put himself in those positions again. And, you know, so make those runs into the box and try and score a few more. Because, you know, you can't rely entirely on Calvert-Lewin and Richarlison to, you know, score goals for you all season. We've shown this season with the Sigurdsson goals taken out of the equation that if one of the regular goal scorers goes missing, you can struggle, so you need to spread the goals around the squad as much as you possibly can. You know, the very best Everson teams did that so well. So, yeah, you know, certainly, you know, the fullbacks have got to start contributing a little bit more and have the centre back. So, yeah, Michael Keane did, you know, sort of take it very, very well, and he should be looking to do it more. I agree. Gav, I know you're not necessarily a fan of um, using assists stats as. As a, as a barometer, um, but but Luca Dean now has six Premier League uh, assists this season. Yeah. Obviously, it was his corner for Michael for Michael Keane's winner. Is Dean having a good season or a bad season? Because it seems like it's a um, it's a it's a debate, match by match debate amongst Evertonians about Dean's season. I think everybody accepts he had an excellent, you know, a truly excellent first season. But the season, there seems to be quite a lot of debate about if he's having a good season this season. I think he is having a good season, not at the levels of last season, but still very good. Well, I don't think he's had a bad season or a, or a moderate season. I think he's had the um, you know had the high standards to live up to from last year, hasn't he? Um, maybe, maybe um, fullbacks. The fullback. One of the reasons is I think was one of the the fullbacks' role in a four four two and a four three three is different, isn't it? So you've got to adapt. In four three three, you've probably got to bomb on a little bit more in four four two. You've got to, you've already got a wide player playing in front of you, haven't you? You know, so um, you you play, he's playing in a different team under Carlo and, and there was a few games under which I don't think that helps. Um, yeah, but he's been he's been okay. I don't, I don't think defensively you. I'm trying to think. Obviously, we've got a long period of time to think over in terms of this season, but I can't remember coming away thinking, oh, he was really poor. Maybe he's just not had them sort of Hollywood moments that he maybe had uh, had last season, you know. Um, but he's, he's been okay. He's been okay. I, um, I've not, not really, you put it this way, he's not been our problem this season. He's not been a major problem for us this season compared to some other areas of, uh, of, of improvement I've seen elsewhere in the team. Yeah, your thoughts on Dean's season? Yeah, I'd agree. I mean, I think he's he struggled to live up to the initial expectation because he was so good uh, last season. But he's been steady. You know, he's. Uh, I can't think of any major problems we've had with him. Um, it's just it's very very difficult, I suppose. Second season syndrome, would you call it? Maybe 
uh, to you know live up to the promise that he showed in that opening campaign. Uh, but like Gav said, yeah, there have been you know so far more pressing issues elsewhere in the side. He's been okay, but we know we can get more from him. So hopefully, you know, so once whenever this season finishes and whenever next season starts, after he's had like a, a decent break, we'll see him refreshed and revived and raring to go. And what would help also is having a consistent partner down that side, because you know, so clearly, yeah, yeah, yeah. clearly they, you know they've chopped and changed so much uh, throughout the season. You know, we still don't know, you know, so who his most natural left-sided, you know, so partner, you know, would be. I mean, there are a couple of signs that him and Anthony Gordon linked up quite well in you know, the derby match on the occasions that, you know, we, we saw them together. Maybe that could be one for the future. That would help, certainly, you know, some degree of consistency in front of them. Gav, just going back to, to the first two games generally, uh, and, you know, you, you said this was... This would see show us, you know, the good managers and, and their expertise coming to the fore, and, and, and I, I totally agree with you there. I think, I think Carlo's been been spot on, hasn't he? But do you also think that with the best will in the world, as as a squad, we're not blessed with pace, and we haven't been blessed with pace for a number of seasons. Yeah, we've got we've got quick players, but as a whole, we're not a particularly quick squad. Do you think that the pace of the restart has actually worked significantly in our favour in that regard? Where it's become more technical and tactical. Yeah, game. because it's got that pre-season vibe. And... Yeah, yeah. Fennel said that, didn't he, before the derby, Dave, didn't you? That you felt the derby was had more of a feel of a first game of the season. Yeah. Uh, feel to it rather than sort of like, you know, the 20, whatever it is, the first game of the season. Yeah, definitely. Uh, the heat, a whole, whole host of things has, has worked in in the favour of somebody who's tactically very cute, knows how to set up a team and, 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 and will play in a disciplined fashion. Um, and, and I think Carlo's really benefited by, and as the players of having a, a, a plenty of uh, you know, plenty of time with the players, you know, compared to what you would have done, say, in, you know, say in March. So I, I think a, a lot of things have gone in his favour, uh, to be honest with you. And, and in the first two games, we looked really well organised. I'm trying to think about a major chance that we've conceded in that time. I mean, uh, we've not really, you know, we've not really been set defensively. Even we were playing Liverpool last you know, last Sunday, so yeah, I agree with that. Um, Prenel, before the game on Wednesday and after the game on Wednesday, of course, Carlo um, and a number of the players um, repeated their belief that Europa League has to still be a target. Um, and that it, you know, it remains uh, something that can be achieved this season. Do you think we're realistically in the mix? No, no chance. I understand why they're saying it. You know, psychologically, you've got to dangle that carrot. You've got to give yourself something to aim for. And no matter how remote that possibility, you know, looks like, you've got to still believe. You've got to keep pushing and keep trying. Otherwise, you will just be going through the motions, and you will be playing effectively. You know, so friendly matches between now and the end of the season. But realistically, looking at the challenge we've got to make up and the fixtures that we have left, it looks like a really big long shot. We don't know, do we, that you know, if the Manchester City uh, decision goes against them and you know, an extra place is knocked down the Premier League, possibly again. But no, I go, I go back to those three fixtures that we only took one point from, Man United, Arsenal and Chelsea. We needed to pick up more from those games to have given ourselves a, a proper opportunity that doesn't mean there's nothing to play for. It means that you've still got to, you know, make a point to the manager. You've got to prove that you deserve a future at the football club under him. And you've got to show the watching public at large on television or however you're watching the games, um, you know, that there's 
something to look forward to for next season. And we can still do that. You know, the Leicester game next week, they just seem to have hit the wall a little bit, Leicester. Uh, so, you know, an opportunity mm. there may be to, you know, get three points. And if we can, wow, you know, so two wins and a draw from the three games back, we'd have taken that all day long. Maybe I'll be speaking differently again then about Europe. But, you know, for the time <laughs> for the time being, no, I think it's a long shot, personally. Gavin, what's your thoughts on our chances of, uh, of sneaking into the back door for, for Europa League? Um, I think... A- said earlier on the week when this was brought up that it's all right being four or five points behind and you're you're sort of eighth in the table or something. It's a different thing where you're you know, mid-table and you've got four or five teams between you and the European places. Not only are you, are, you know, um, allowing for the team in six or seven to, to tank over the last eight games, you're also relying on three or four other teams to tank in the last uh, seven or eight games. So I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, we've still got some tough fixtures left ourselves, even not notwithstanding the Leicester game next week. Uh, and I, I think it's a very, very long, you know, very much a long shot at this stage. Um, just, just sticking with with the, the game, the two games we've seen so far. Um, Going to ask you both: uh, which player has impressed you the most? Preno, start with you. Oh, good question. Um, it'd be easy to say which players have disappointed me the most. Well, that, uh, that's, the, I'll, that's I'll, the follow-up. I'll come on to that. Um, players have impressed me. I mean, Richarlison was great against Liverpool and looked absolutely knackered against Norwich. Um, Calvert-Lewin, I, I would say. Uh, Calvert-Lewin has looked more and more like a centre-forward of substance and of presence. Um, you know, he looked like he'd, you know, so sort of finally got over that inability to score goals uh, before the lockdown and started scoring quite you know regularly. That's let him down a little bit you know, so in the last two games. He had half chances maybe against Norwich, maybe slightly better than half chances with the header at the far post. Uh, and once or twice maybe his decision-making was a little bit awry. Uh, you know, he went for a shot on goal and maybe he could have played somebody in. But overall, he's, he's impressed me enormously. Uh, he's a young man who's improved massively over the last like 12, 18 months. And he looks like a centre-forward now that you can rely on, that you can trust, and you want to see in the starting lineup. No question marks at all against him. There are things you can do better, certainly. Like I say, decision-making, you know, so maybe, you know, so one or two, you know, so finishing issues. Uh, but no, overall, uh, really, really impressed with the lads. And I said years ago, uh, I think when he played against, was it Stoke City at right wing back on that opening day for Dr. Ronald Koeman? <laughs> Bizarrely, he reminded me that day of quite a young Graham Sharp, uh, just in terms of his mobility and his stature and stuff. And there are still elements of Sharpie's game now that we you know that I can like link to Dominic Carver-Lewin. So, yeah, out of everybody in the squad, he's the one player, I think, who's hit the ground running. Gav, uh, who's, who's impressed you the most in the two games? Um... Yes, shout out for Calvert-Lewin, I'd agree there. I think Michael Keane is obviously somebody who's had a lot of um, yeah. publicity this week. Um, probably much needed, to said last week. You know, we were talking about players who were benefits uh, appearing behind closed doors and not in front of the crowds. And I said that, I suspect Michael Keane is certainly in that uh, in that category. Uh, and uh, I don't that, not saying that's the reason why he has performed well in the two games. Uh, but he, he certainly looks a different player since he's come back. Far more assured, far more solid, benefiting perhaps by having Mason as as his partner, uh, and he's as well and as well as helps to score. I would say, and I think there's quite a lot of evidence forces who've said that, which is good, good for his confidence, isn't it? I think he's a player to me who probably he appears to be an arm round the shoulder guy, doesn't he? Uh, and this would have done in the world to go to think these two games this week. 
Yeah, any, any objection? Just got a little shout out for Alex Iwobi as well, who got you know pelters for his derby match performance, which was harsh given the fact that everything he had to do was more defensively minded, and he came out and showed a lot more of what he can do, you know, in a forward position against Norwich City. Still a long way to go, admittedly, and consistency is going to be the big issue there. But, you know, certainly gave a little glimpse, perhaps, of, you know, so what we hope to see from him and what we want to see more of from him going forward. Any objection to me throwing uh, Sigurdsson's name in there? Again, I feel... I I, I was going to mention him yourself, to be fair. Um, Yeah, he's looked very, very bright the two games he's played. He's just not a central midfielder, but we've looked better in central midfield when he's come on. And we'll move on to that, no doubt, because that's been the big disappointment, the performances of the two guys in that position. But, you know, whenever he's come on in games, he has shown a gilding of quality and uh, our performances have improved as a result. I'm a fan and I've said it many times before, uh, but no, I wouldn't argue with you at all there, Phil. I think he's done well. And and, and not to be, you know, not to uh, praise him with one hand and, and criticise with the other, but I do wonder, Gav, for, you know, just going back to what I'd asked you before about the pace of the games, I just wonder the pace of the, of the game so far it actually suits Sigurdsson when he comes on because we all know his ability with the football and we all know yeah. his ability to pick passes. And if the game isn't a million miles an hour, it's not bypassing him in, in midfield as much. He's got more time to control the game. I just think, I think you know, of all the players that's come back, it looks like it suited him, um, particularly in a central midfield role anyway. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, you know, he's got maybe got a little bit more time on the ball than normal, a little bit more space to play into, and that that's more his game, isn't it? You know, going back to what we said before, it to get it's a game now at this stage of the the year, uh, which is a more tactical uh, game, isn't it? More slow paced game. I mean, something you know, talking about Carlo Ancelotti, something that you would probably see in Serie A. You know where uh, that mate Ben Carlo was make you know making his name as a manager and a player that that type of uh, that type of match maybe not pretty to watch but there's lots of stuff to that you don't realise you're watching you know that that mm. that's actually well planned out and um, and that's maybe why teams have tended to cancel each other out in, in a lot of the games I've seen um, so yeah yeah and, and Sigerson is one who's definitely benefited from it I think you know what. What I want to see is, um, you know, from the first two games is a bit different. Maybe get a chance against Leicester, just to be on the front foot a little bit more. Right. You know, and uh, you know, to, to try and even on some, even on two uh, Wednesday, you know, you felt that we were sort of sitting first half reacting a little bit more. We were far more assertive in the second half and looked far better for it. And I think, uh, I'd certainly like to see that in our last six, you know, last six or seven matches, especially. As we still have that like small carrot of Europe to try and uh, to, to try and get. Um, Prenna, I, I guess from what you were alluding to, therefore that uh, your, your disappointments have been have been in central midfield. So you would uh, very much like to see from Leicester onwards better performances from uh, Andre Gomez and Tom Davis. One hundred percent, yeah. Um, you know they, they've been asked to carry. Uh, the the mantle, if you like, with uh, with Fabian Delft being unavailable and Maureen Schneiderlin moving on. And it was an opportunity for both of them in different ways. I mean, Andre Gomez, we know what kind of quality he has. And it was an opportunity to show that he could hit the ground running and he was back after his, you know, sort of injury travise. And he hasn't. You know, he's uh, well, you're a handful of, you know, some moments, but th- that's it, really. Uh, we just know he can do so much more and he can dominate games so much more. I'm hoping that, 
having played two games in such close proximity, his sharpness will be much more improved against Leicester. And the way Leicester play as well, you know, so we'll hopefully give him a little bit more space in which to, uh, you know, sort of pick passes and so on. But we know he can do so much more and he hasn't. And Tom Davis, you know, you, you feel hard being critical on, you know, so, such a young lad. But he's been around, as the, the TV commentary said uh, in midweek, he seems to have been around forever. And, you know, it's a long time, you know, since he made that breakthrough in the last match of whatever season it was, you know, against Norwich. And he's had plenty of, you know, uh, first-team exposure since then. And we'd hope to see a little bit more quality from him. I mean, some of the balls he gave away in dangerous positions were very disappointing. I mean, the only problems that Norwich created were really of Everton's making. And, you know, a couple of them came as a result of sloppiness uh, from Tom's behalf. And I get the fact that, you know, again, you know, he played against Liverpool. It was only a quick turnaround and it was, you know, hot temperatures. But this is Premier League football. It's an unforgiving environment. And I wanted to see so much better from the pair of them. I mean, they're likely to have to play again against Leicester City, but they've had a longer break this time. Fingers crossed they can improve and can show something a bit more for, for us. Otherwise, maybe Sigurdsson will be given a chance. I don't know. He's earned it. He certainly has deserved it. And I wouldn't be at all against taking you know, sort of one or the other out and replacing him with Sigurdsson for that game. Gav, uh, which player or players have disappointed you most in the first two games? Uh, uh, I don't think Moyes Keane did himself any favours when he came on as well. <laughs> on Wednesday. That would be the first thing I'd say. I think, yeah, you've got you've got to look at the midfield, haven't you, really, which has been our weak, weak spots across both games, albeit probably for different reasons. Um, to me, it's about the midfield, it's about balance, isn't it? And I don't think when... I think the problem we've got really is Gomez is probably at his best when he's playing in the midfield there, isn't he? I think a two doesn't really suit him um, because it means he's got to play a little bit deeper uh, which is not necessarily his game because he's not really a defensive midfielder. And it means he can't probably influence the game further up the pitch. And I think I think not only is a problem personnel in the middle of the park and their form at the moment, it, it's actually the balance in midfield in itself. It's very difficult in a 4-4-2 to get the right balance. And I'm not sure whether it's there at the moment with Gomez and, and Tom. Because neither of them are natural defensive midfielders. Um, Anze isn't really going to get, you know, we talk about lack of pace. Anze is not going to go striding up the pitch uh, 100 miles an hour. And and I think the 4 4 2, which Carlo's always used, does, you know, it does sort of go against Anze a bit. And I don't think he's effect, you know, and, you know, I, you know, Phil, since he joined the club, I've been quite uh, not critical of Anze. I don't really see, don't really see what people go on about with him. For and and uh, that that those doubts are still there. He needs to affect the game a lot more. He's got undoubted technical ability and vision, but he doesn't affect the game and take games by the scruff of the neck, in which he, which he should be doing. He, he, you know, he, he doesn't take risks. You know, he should be should be a little bit more confident in his passing. You know, a little bit more penetrative. So he plays a little bit too safe for me. Uh, and and he should be he should be offering a lot more from a defensive point of view than what he has been doing the two games so far. Do you think we have to have there's some mitigation? We have to have some understanding that, of course, you know this isn't just him returning from an enforced break. He was only just yeah. coming back from a serious injury, of course, wasn't he? So uh, absolutely, absolutely. You know, and though I did say that before he got injured, and he's and he's coming back from a break from like not playing for three months, so his fitness. And, and, and the sort of momentum that you need is not there. But 
that's to me it's not not really the issue. It's just you know you know using your ability to far more to affect the game uh, than what he's been doing. Um, and and so it's that midfield really. I don't think they've been particularly bad, but they've not been. You know, we've had no problems with the defence. Jordan Pickford's looked solid in both games. To be fair, we need to give a shout out to Jordan. To be honest with you, um, and up front we've been we've been mobile and posed a limited threat. I think most people I've spoken to this week have tended to be more about the midfield when they're talking about uh, talking about the uh, you know the performance of the team in these two matches. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Moving on, um, before, during and, and after the game, uh, the... The other news of the, of the evening was, of course, regarding Everton's new stadium and Dan Mice, uh, who had tweeted that he was no longer currently engaged in the project uh, and that he had no longer had a role, uh, was among the biggest disappointments of his career. Um, what did you make of it? I think it's, it, it took a lot of people by surprise, didn't it? Yeah, I mean, Everton have been very, very short-footed throughout the entire you know, sort of stadium project. But I just thought this could have been handled a little bit better, maybe. Uh, you know, so if it was something that was always part of the plan, uh, and there's no reason to disbelieve that, you know, so it was part of the uh, the situation. I think it could have been maybe communicated a little bit better rather than Dan, you know, so putting a few uh, slighted, you know, sort of tweets out there and messages on social media. Clearly, he was disappointed, and you know, he was a little bit upset that. It wasn't, you know, so his company that was taking the project forward. And let's just say, for you know, that Everton always said that this was the plan. You know, so he provided the designs. They then put out a second tender for the construction, you know, phase. And it was always likely it was going to be a UK-based uh, company because they understand UK, you know, building regulations, you know, so much better. Uh, and the company that they've gone for, I've got a great reputation as well. You know, uh, you know, done very, very great work in the past. But I just think. Uh, it could have been, you know, so maybe communicate to the supporters a little bit better. You know, so Dan clearly did have a bit of an axe to grind and it wasn't slower, you know, so putting it out there on social media. And I think maybe in hindsight, he might regret that a little bit. Um, but yeah, took us by surprise. But let's also underline that in no way does this compromise the project as a whole. You know, so everything else is on target. You know, so everything else is still as it ought to be. Um, you know, the, the pandemic is going to cause a couple of financial issues, you'd imagine, in terms of, you know, so seeking investors and what have you. But again, nothing to worry about on that score. So, yeah, just a, a minor blip, that, you know, so arguably the first blip that we've had so far in the entire, you know, so stadium project, which Everton, Everton have handled very, very well up until this point. Gav, have you got sympathy with Dan for, for his situation that he isn't um, taking architectural responsibility or full responsibility on that front uh, through to completion and, and, and the construction or, or do you, are you sort of confident the in the club's decision? I yeah, I don't know the backstory to this. I presume Dan's experienced enough to know that actually it's from, you know, and probably made clear to him that, you know, at some point there will be a changeover of roles 
Um, I, I take Plano's points. My my view is actually, I just thought it was, I wouldn't say unprofessional by Dan, I appreciate his frustrations. I'm not sure whether it should have been brought out over over Twitter. There's ways of ways of doing things, isn't it? I'm not sure that, that did sit right with me, uh, to be honest with you. Um, I, though I can understand his frustrations, and as Plano was saying, it's minor blip. You know, I've been a red spread what he said on Wednesday, I thought, you know, took a step back, but showing my complete lack of expertise in building 52,000-seater stadiums, I then learned that, obviously, this is uh, this is something that's not unusual and something to be expected to change over. Uh, you know, and plus, you know, the design of the stadium can't change that much, because obviously it's got to go to the planning commission, um, so you can't alter the stadium as such after that. So, uh, yeah, no no problems with me on in terms of the, the methodology that's being used by Everton. Uh I actually thought that maybe, as you say, Dan probably looks back now, maybe regrets a little bit. I didn't think it looked that, that professional, to be honest, but yeah. But I can see why supporters are were sort of agitated about it because Dan has shown himself as all supporters like to be a great Evertonian and, you know, so-called getting the club, as we say. So there's an emotional attachment to him. Uh, that's not just about him being the architect of the stadium, I suppose. So I can understand why supporters were was a bit alarmed a little bit on, on Wednesday night uh, because of the emotional side, as I say. That, yeah, that was the disappointment for me as well because, I mean, from what we've heard of Dan and you've spoken to him, Phil, I've spoken to him, mm. he's he's an asset. I think, you know, his personality uh, comes across very, very well. And clearly he has bought into Everton Football Club in a very big way and the little touches around the stadium, you know, so underline that. And, you know, we are led to believe that he was offered, you know, so at a... Is it an advisory role or some kind of role, you know, so working, you know, so with the new architects, but he didn't want that. You know, I think he wanted it to be his company and all or nothing, uh, which is a shame because, you know, he has showed already that he can bring an awful lot, you know, so to it just with his personality. But it's such a big project. It is so important to Everton Football Club that sometimes sentiment has to take a, a back step. It's a business decision and, you know, it's... You know, so whilst, you know, so Dan wasn't happy with that, if it's for the good of Everton Football Club and it's for the good of the stadium going forward, reluctantly, so be it. And, and of course, Gav, just the last one on this. Nobody or the majority of people will ever look at the Bradley Moore Dock and the new stadium when it's built and question and go, well, who designed it? You know, it's it's, it's got Dan's fingerprints all over it and everybody knows the input and the... uh, the the addition he will have have made to hopefully a long and successful history in that stadium. Yeah, yeah, it's a bit like the old Archibald Leach, isn't it? A, a good, some, you know, ninety years after the fact, or since you know, uh, you know, his, his stand and, and um, that he's still mentioned now. So yeah, it'll always be, you know, the Dan Mice design stadium, won't it? And that, that that's true. And uh, I, I don't. But then things move on. So when we do get to the ground, we'll be looking at the ground, won't we? That would be the, the main that would be the main focus then. Um Dan will be there as as the person who designed it. So I think yeah, it, there will be, but you know, things do move on as well. So we uh you know, we need to move we need to move on now the project. So yeah, I've got no 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 real comments after after some, you know, initial worry when I saw the news on Wednesday. Back on the pitch, uh, Pranal, well, not necessarily on the pitch much if you are Umanias and Kuko sure. Martina. Uh, it was announced yesterday, Thursday afternoon, as expected. Uh, the pair of them will be released at the end of their contracts, which is on Tuesday. Um, had you any 
wonder or did you have any suspicion or 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 did you think for one moment maybe certainly in Kuko's case he might get a short term extension to see to see him through to the end of the season? No, no, not really. I mean, this is it's a big period for Everson to try and shift and for want of a better phrase, the dead wood. You know, so the players are earning significant sums of money and are preventing, you know, so real good quality players you know, coming into the football club. An awful lot of players needed to be moved on. Morgan Schneidlin, you know, started that. And uh, there was never any doubt in my mind that Umar Nias and Kuko Martina uh, would be two of them. Both very different, though, when we're talking about those two players. Kuko Martina cost nothing. Um, you know, his, his wages were, you know, were, were decent enough. Uh, but he did okay, you know, so on occasions. Um, certainly not good enough for, you know, long term to be at Everson Football Club. But he did okay for, for small periods. Umar Nias, and I had this big, long debate on my uh, Twitter feed yesterday with a number of Evertonians. Uh, I saw one Evertonian describe him as like the worst player he'd ever seen, you know, so in a royal blue shirt. And I found it difficult to disagree. Um, and I've seen some bad players during that time. Now, let's just put that into context. That is in terms of the money spent on him, in terms of the return we got. And then we scored a couple of goals here and there along the way. Uh, but I just think his overall quality uh, for a club like Everson Football Club was never, ever of the requisite standard. And to have cost as much money as he did, was it 13 and a half million quid? You know, for a player who I think I described as being like a kitten playing with a ping pong ball, you know, so when he's trying to control the ball, it just left me baffled. It, it was a strange move. I mean, we already brought one player in from Russian football uh, in Aidan McGeady, which never really, you know, so worked out. And we went down that road again, you know, so with Umar Nias. And it was five years he was at the club for. Is that right? So, you know, it's, it's absolutely incredible. Um, no, it was, a, it was a mistake and it was an expensive mistake. And I'm glad that we've now finally, you know, sort of seen the end of it and we can try and bring in, you know, sort of better quality. Sorry if that sounds a bit harsh, but, you know, it's, uh, football can be a, an, an unforgiving environment. Gav, what, what did Roberto see in Numa? In trying, you know, in trying to, you know, we we appreciate that it's been a bit of a nightmare by, but yeah, you know, in in defence of the lad, if we can produce one, what what would Roberto have seen that convinced him he was worth that money? Uh, well, only Roberto will tell you that, but I think he had a decent scoring record in Russia, didn't he? He did, but only single goals weren't they? There weren't like any twos or threes yeah. I can remember, but. Yeah, I, I, I can't remember, you know, as you say, it's that long ago now, it's four and a half, five years, so I can't remember the exact stats, but there was some, some, you know, there was, there was, uh, you know, it was decent record in, 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 in Russia, 30 million, it's not exactly, you know, it's not 30 or 40 million, but my, my impression of him was that, if you remember, he had, he had that, remember he joined, he had a problem, was it on his wrist, where he couldn't play uh-huh. for about six or eight weeks, I think. And you're thinking, why can't a player play, you know, with just a cast round as risk? You know, it just yeah. seemed a bit odd. Um, I, like, I like Kevin Richardson. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, Kevin scored in League Cup semi-finals with, with the, you know, with the bandage and, on his And handled one off the line with a bandage on his wrist. Yeah, yeah. True. <laughs> yeah. And, and, I, I, I thought we were going to get retro at some point today. <laughs> then, you know. uh, but it just seemed odd. And that, well, why can't he their close season wasn't in Russia where they have the, the close down for the winter so he obviously wasn't fit and I remember when he came on his first game and as you say Prano that, that kitten with a wool ball it's just yeah. it's just, it's just totally uh, accurate 
he just never looked, um, you know, at any point as if he knew what he was doing exactly. Um, having said that, though, he did. You have a look at his goals record. I think it, I can't remember if it was a seventeen eighteen. His goals per minute record was quite high. He bailed mm. us out a couple of times. I think it was at the Bournemouth game at home, yeah. where we, we won. Yeah. I think he may have come on a sub and turned the game. He scored some future goals elsewhere. So there was. He wasn't totally, you know, it wasn't like a day like say Brett Angel Pano. Um he did actually score goals, he did score some useful goals, but he just he just never got the impression that he was anything anything special. I'm not sure he's the worst player I've seen. Uh, no. but 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 when you wait to buy the fee that we paid and compare the two in terms of value for money, he's, he's way down, way down. No, I mean, he, he, he was a loose cannon. You think of some of the goals he scored, and there weren't many considered calculated finishes. I mean, there was one yeah. I remember in the League Cup tie down the street end, you know, when he was finally brought back into the fold by Ronald Koeman, and he brought one down in his chest and scored to the outside of his foot. That's the only one I think I can actually remember where it wasn't bouncing in off his knee or his shin or... You know, so whatever it was. And that, that was modern football, Premier League football at the highest level. You've got to be so controlled and so aware and your touch has got to be so good. And his wasn't. I mean, the Newcastle yeah. game this season, you know, he, he came on and, you know, it was just like chaos reigned suddenly when he came on. Yeah. And, you know, that seemed to be the case all throughout his career. And you can't really build a career in the Premier League around being a loose cannon, you know, because, OK, the opposition don't know what you're going to do, but neither do your teammates as well. And you've got to be a little bit better than that uh, to, to make it, you know, to survive and to succeed in the Premier League. And I know fans had a, a lot of sympathy for him because of the manner in which he was treated by Ronald Koeman, which was ruthless in the extreme. But that is modern football. And people, you know, just out of human nature, felt a little bit sorry for the lad. And then they saw him sitting in the away section at Old Trafford, which was quite cute on his behalf. And that got him like a little bit of a kudos as well. But bottom line is, you know, so you've got to be a good footballer and, and he, he wasn't, I'm afraid, or certainly not to the quality required to be a success in the Premier League. I know he went away on loan and did okay for Marco Silva, you know, a whole city. Okay, you know, so being the, uh, you know, under, not, nothing more than that. But no, it was uh, it, it was just an error from the yeah. start to finish. And, you know, it, it, it's over now and we can look forward and move forward. Yeah, it summed up, sort of, sorry, Phil, it summed up Roberto's last season at Goodison, wasn't it? Which was a bit chaotic all around. Yeah. Uh, my, main, my main memory of, of my ass will be on the pitch. I think it might have been Watford when we won 3 2 or Arsenal, where he took the, took the ball around the keeper at the Gladys end and st- scored, but he just sort of still managed to nearly miss. You know, and no point between taking the ball around the keeper and the goal line. Did he have the ball that under any sort of control, you know? And uh, yeah, I, I agree with Plano um, with that. And it was it was a, a symptomatic of Martinez's last season where he just basically, I think he had lost control of things. I mean, it is perhaps, or what does it tell us though, Gav, that he did actually feature under five different permanent managers, <laughs> I think, didn't he? Um, Umar, you know, he, he played some games for all the managers. Um, and the, I look back at a piece... We wrote um, during during Allardyce's reign, in the early part of Allardyce taking over, and at one point Allardyce went on record as saying that Umani Ass was the first choice centre forward at Everton at that point. Oh dear, I'm glad I've forgotten uh, that. I, I think that probably says more about Allardyce really than than Umar, uh, To be honest with you, um, I don't think we maybe had that sort of choice at the time. Um, yeah, I can, you know, you can see. 
his goals record is actually not that bad. You know, his goals per minute record. It's just that lack of quality and weighing in the, the, the fee as well. I mean, we can't say more than that. I, I, he, he would not, he'd never be first choice in, a, in any of the time I can remember him. I think he played for five different managers, more reflection sometimes of our lack of options up, up yeah. front until, yeah. until Dominic has settled in as a as first choice striker. We brought with Charleston. I'm just trying to think for, for three, maybe two or three years from 16 to, to, to you know, 18, 18 two years. Yeah. yeah, those two years, we didn't really have a lot. I mean, we brought Chang, didn't we? 17, 18, and he took time to settle. So we, uh, and Valencia played, didn't he? 16, 17, mm. Roms last season. Um, so those two years, it was a bit, bit, uh, bit hit and miss where we I think it's funny, actually, you actually started that, Phil, by saying, you know, Kuko Martin and Umanias, and we've spent 90% of the time talking about Umanias, which underlines what a character he is, what personality he's got, and maybe, you know, sort of what, what he occasionally contributed. Kuko Martino is probably the steadier player out of the two, yet we've only, you know, sort of barely mentioned him. So, you know, strikers, you know, so you do have uh, an affinity or you're always harder on strikers. Dennis Strachwellers, he was another one that would always figure in those, um, you know, was he the worst ever kind of, you know, sort of arguments. And I had a, a lot of time for Dennis Strachwellers. You know, it was his, his enthusiasm and his commitment was second to none. His quality was nowhere near good enough. We know that. But again, he scored a couple of goals, you know, so in his time here. And it's quite fondly remembered as a result. And I suspect you on the ass in time. Bit of a you cure it said kind of thing. But yeah, I think he probably will be fondly remembered in a, in a strange kind of way. <laughs> Indeed. Um, okay, moving on from Moomad, uh, final, final part of today's pod before we, before we wrap up. Um, Leighton Baines has agreed a short-term deal to see him through to the end of the season, but the offer of a new one-year deal remains on the table, but the club have not had a decision yet. Um, Gav, are you... Confident he will sign? Have you got any concerns about this delay? Um, you know, Carlo only going as far as to say that he's hopeful, um, but wouldn't say any more. Uh, I have concerns, yeah, um, because if he doesn't sign, it means that we may have to enter the market for the for the for, you know for the role that perhaps we weren't we we weren't aiming to, and we got better, you know, more better priorities more to look at. Um, it's like me as if Leighton's looking at his options, really, obviously. Um, it's not beyond the realms of possibility as a scenario. I'm not saying this is going to happen, where a team coming off from the Championship, say, would, could be an attractive proposition, maybe. Maybe Leighton wants some game time rather than the money. Um, and perhaps I think uh, that could be something that, you know, maybe, you know, attractive to him at this stage. But I am concerned because. From a from a, a tactical planning thing for the squad, it's something we can do without. Uh, to be honest with you, but at the same time, Leighton, especially given his career, of course, has every right to to take his time over over this decision. Yeah, it worries me. Um, you know, the fact that he hasn't made a decision instantly suggests that either he has doubts about uh, wanting to extend his, his football career further, or maybe he's not particularly happy with the terms of the deal. I don't know. Is it a pay-as-you-play thing, in which case he hasn't been playing very often? Uh, I, I just don't know. But the fact that he hasn't uh, committed himself immediately 
does leave me a little bit concerned. We've spoken many times before on here what he can bring to the squad on and off the pitch in terms of his professionalism and his leadership qualities and his personality. And that would leave a big gap in the squad. Having lost Phil Jagielka, you know, so soon, losing him as well, that would leave really Seamus Coleman as the only like, you know, so long standing uh, you know, so a person with you know leadership qualities at the football club. Uh, so yeah, it's it's a concern, and you know I, I do hope that you know Carlo Ancelotti's optimism over this is justified. You know, so and he does commit to another year or so. Um, Gav, just before we wrap up on Bainesy, I mean, look, just try to get into into the sort of playing uh, amateur psychologist. Do you think the situation? Globally and in terms of how it's it's, it's changing football and, and as we look towards next season and, and there being no definitive guidance as it stands that it will change in look as to how it is now with lack of fans, etc. Do you think that could be off-putting for somebody like Leighton that actually the, the appetite to go on another 12 months as second choice at left-back is actually... Um, is, is lessened significantly because of the way football will look potentially. In, in other words, you pack in. Mm. Yeah, that is retire and say, well, yeah. actually, it can't really be bothered playing in front of you know unfilled stadiums five times a season for you know, yeah. when they've when they've had a long career, um, well, well remunerated career. Yeah, I could see that being an option. Especially as Peno Peno knows Leighton a bit better than me. He's a guy who doesn't necessarily eat, sleep football 24 hours a day. It's well known that he's got a lot of other interests, music, music, He does see the bigger picture. Uh, you, you can see maybe if he if he thinks actually it's not really worth me while being with Everton and there's no other sort of outside interest that's attractive to me, then um, I'd be better off hanging my boots and pursuing other hobbies and stuff maybe 12 months before. Uh, before I was anticipating, yeah, I could, I could see that, that that being a you know a way of thinking. Felt to be honest with you. I can see that myself. Uh, like I say, he's got so many other interests outside of football, but football is such a drug. And uh, it reminds me in many respects of Andy Hinchcliffe, and not just positionally that they play in the team. Andy was a, a very, very talented footballer who wasn't really in love with the game, you know, so it certainly wasn't somebody you'd describe as a student of the game. And he had interests outside of football. He loved his literature. He loved his movies and stuff. And it, it always really took me by surprise uh, when he suddenly materialised as a pundit for Sky TV. I thought, where did that come from? And it's almost like, and Duncan Ferguson was another one as well. I mean, Joe Royal actually said to me many, many years ago about um, Duncan being somebody that was very, very talented, but not really in love with the game. Uh, yes, it's a drug. It gets inside you and, you know, you, you find it difficult to step back from it. Uh, and obviously, Duncan's like a very successful coach at the football club now and seems to live, breathe, you know, sleep and drink, you know, so football. So maybe Leighton would find himself in the same boat if he did make that decision, whether he would come to regress it, you know, so a year or two down the line. You know, it, it's only one more season, you know, so ideally hope he does sign us and does stick around just to give us, you know, so what one last, you know, so a little swan song, one last glimpse of the talent he's brought to that football club for so long. Absolutely, here, here, and we we do hope that uh, our collective concern is unfounded, and uh, Leighton uh, signs on the dotted line for another twelve months. Um, chaps, thank you very much for your company. Excellent as always, uh, and thank you very much for listening. Hope you've enjoyed it. Uh, we'll be back next week to preview the home game with Leicester City that's taking place on July the first. So we will pod again Monday uh, afternoon and uh, preview that game. So thank you very much for listening. 
This has been the Royal Blue Podcast. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.